This episode of Dear Asian Americans is brought to you by the Quarter Pounder with Cheese from McDonald's. It's QPC time. Did your mouth just water? The QPC is the burger that breaks the norms of etiquette, the burger that napkins were made for, the burger that's saucy, drippy, oozing with flavor, always cooked when you order. So the next time you want a mouth-watering burger, order the QPC from McDonald's. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans. Hope you are doing well and having a wonderful uh, June. Uh, really excited to share another great story with you today. And again, thanks to our friends at McDonald's. Uh, if you're going to go out and hang out with some friends this weekend, go try a QPC. Um, today is a special episode. Uh, I actually found this guest book uh, just sitting on a bookshelf near our uh, home at a children's bookstore and immediately uh, found a liking to it. Uh, it's not so often, uh, it's getting better, but not every day that you get to s- discover a new children's book written by an Asian American author. And so, uh, Sarah Huang is our guest today, the author, uh, of Toasty. And so really excited to share uh, her, her story with you today. And, uh, it's actually been a really great week and a really fun week, uh, hanging out with other American, Asian American authors, uh, you were hearing this on Friday, hopefully over the weekend. And just this past Wednesday, we were in San Francisco for a night market event at The Wing with authors Michelle Bijung Kim and Joanna Ho, uh, hosted by Jen Cho, the CEO of The Wing. Uh, today, this evening, we're in LA and on Saturday as well. If you are listening to this on Friday, uh, make plans to join us uh, Saturday morning as we share a conversation with Jenny Wang, uh, also known as At Asians for Mental Health and the author of Permission to Come Home. And Friday morning, uh, I'm actually taking Joanna Ho to our uh, kids' preschool to do a read-along. And so uh, what a wonderful time for Asian American authors, uh, from children's books to books that can help us process the things that we experience. And so thank you to all of my friends uh, who are making this really, really amazing uh, series of events happen and possible. And so I encourage you uh, this weekend, if you have some time to go shop for an Asian American book, buy from your local bookstore, Download the audiobooks if you want to hear their voice reading it to it. And if you have a child in your life, whether it is your own or family or friends, please consider buying them an Asian American book that feature children that look like us. And so without further ado, here now is my conversation with Sarah Wang. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Asian Americans. Hope you are staying healthy and safe. We just got done celebrating in our house, uh, Charlotte's birthday. And, uh, which is March 2nd. And if you are a fan of this show, if you have followed our journey here or my journey here, you know that this whole damn podcast was dedicated to her, is dedicated to her. And we launched this on her first birthday two years ago on March 2nd. And why I bring that up, today's guest, I found serendipitously through my kids. And so I am a huge fan, as you know, of amplifying Asian American stories. And that just doesn't start and stop here at this podcast. But books is where I also feel very passionate about our voice being heard. And in particular, children's books. Um, Because I think if you grew up here in the States or have any inkling of what the uh, children's book landscape looks like, there are more animals being featured as heroes and main characters than people who look like us. And especially the people who write these books don't have last names like ours. And so I'll tell the story in a little bit, but I wanted to preface that and introduce you to our amazing guest today, the author and illustrator of a wonderful children's book called Toasty, Sarah Huang. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Jerry. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on here. Thank you for writing the book. My kids love it. 
And so the story is that we went to a local children's store in our neighborhood here in California. And I have this weird habit. I don't want to say weird. More people should do this. But if I go to a children's bookstore or children's store, I go through the books and I don't look at the titles. I look at the author last names and I look for Asian last names. (laughs) And if I see a name that I recognize, I'll pull it out and I'll peruse through the book. And more times than not, I'll just buy it. For a lot of different reasons, but one, I want my kids to have a library full of Asian American books, both with kids who look like us, but also written by people who are from our community. And two, as as a as a solo mediapreneur, I guess that's the word, myself, it is my job and everybody's job to circulate money within the economy by supporting each other, right? And so we found the book Toasty. We bought two copies. Funny story, we bought both we bought one for our kids and one for their friend's birthday. We accidentally gifted both to the other <laughs> family. And so those two kids have two copies of Toasty. We had to go get another one. And that's how we found each other. And then we, we, uh, I found you on Instagram. And, and since then, I've learned your story. And it is uh, really, really cool. And so before we jump into your personal story, Sarah, tell us about Toasty, the book. First, thank you so much for buying my book. And People don't usually do that when they go to bookstores. Um, They usually, you know, kind of look at the spine and make sure to pick out the one that's pretty or like, you know, but the fact that you pick it up by our last names and that's amazing. Um, So thank you for buying copies of my books and uh, supporting me in that way. Um, And so a little about my book, Toasty is about a piece of toast who wants to be a dog. And on his journey, um, he discovers that being a friend is actually better than being a dog. And I'm going to brag on you for a little bit because that's what we do here. One, uh, your book's published by Penguin Random House, and it's a big deal. And it's a big validating big deal when, when big publishing houses and their affiliates publish our stories. And you have rave reviews from people like the New York Times book review, from Booklist, from Kirkus. And I think it's really, really interesting when our stories that are told with nuance and context also get praised from a very objective source as some of these uh, book review places. But it has it, it carries extra meaning for us because the story of Toasty isn't simply a piece of bread wanting to be a dog, right? Like why? What, what's the meaning of that analogy? I guess it's like Toasty is having this identity crisis, right? Because he is part bread and part dog. Um, And this whole story actually, I guess, came from my personal story as an immigrant child and um, not feeling um, American enough and not feeling Korean enough. Um, And so I don't know, kind of having an identity crisis myself. um, And that's, it's not like I purposely thought of this and try to create a character that would represent this, but um, the sto- the Toasty's visuals came first. And when his story came out and I wrote the first draft within 30 minutes. Um, wow. Yeah. It was like, it was one of those like inspirational hits that just kind of like came. And then I just like, boom, 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 typed out the first draft 30 minutes. Um, and it's like, as weird as this sounds, I felt like Toasty was like a part of me that kind of like jumped out into the world. Um, and I kind of already knew his struggles. 
and like what I was talking about and I knew what I wanted to talk about. So as I was revising the story, it went more, I guess it, it became more clear um, exactly like the message I wanted to tell the world through Toasty. Well, thanks for doing that. And I certainly hope that you're not done telling these stories because empathy, I think, is a trait that is, I was going to say sorely lacking in the world, but let's put it more positively and just say that we need more of um, mm -hmm. as, as the world either continues or remains as divisive as it's ever been. And it is easy to feel helpless, um, particularly as Asian Americans today, as, as we continue to hear of, of such just nasty and, and just hateful acts towards uh, people that look like us. And so all of this is really, really important for people to feel seen, people to feel like they belong in society. And for kids, they have no idea what any of this stuff is. Unfortunately, they'll have to learn it. But to, to introduce some of these topics in a way that is fun and approachable to them is super cool. You, you mentioned that the inspiration or the premise of sort of the identity crisis, if you will, of Toasty stems from your own immigrant experience. So would love to start with that and, you know, ask you to share with us sort of the Huang family migration journey to America. Were you born here? Were you, I guess you're an immigrant, so you were born in Korea. Um, how old were you when you came? Where did you move to? And tell us a little bit about the earlier parts of that journey. Yeah, so uh, to start off, I was born in Busan and then raised in Seoul up until the age of six. And then in the year 2000, that's when my parents decided to move to the U.S. Um, and originally they were saying that they were debating about moving whether into the U.S. or to New Zealand. Um, and oh, yeah, that would have been a completely different story if, <laughs> yeah, if we ended up moving to New Zealand, then my life, you know, and it would be completely different. Um, but yeah, like we ended up moving here. My mom was adamant about moving to this New Jersey, New York City area because she had friends here already. Um, and they wanted to start uh, a business and they started a convenience store. Um, yeah, which is like... Uh, pretty you know typical i feel like it's like a stereotypical job um that a lot of immigrant families you know it's either like a laundromat a convenience store like a bagel shop or something like that um but yeah so they came here uh wanting to start this new business wanting to start fresh um and that's where yeah like that's kind of how we ended up here i had no idea that we were moving my dad just told us that we were going to Disney World. And I just followed, like, you know, being like, oh, Disney World, like, we're going to go see Mickey Mouse. And then um, didn't know we were going to settle in a completely different country. And you just never went back. Did you actually go to yeah. Disney World, though? No, we didn't go. Damn it, Dad. Yeah, I was like, Dad, you lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, you know, I, I, I empathize there because. We have a five and a three-year-old now, and, and and we came to the States when I was eight and my brother was nine. Like, I, I don't know if I could do it, to be honest with you. You, me, and all of us now standing on the shoulders of our parents' sacrifice, like, we have so much more privilege. But even now, if you're like, hey, guess what? In three years, you're going to have to pack up all your stuff, go to a country where you know nobody, and imagine there's no internet. You got to learn a brand new language. And oh, by the way, like you're going to have to figure out how to raise kids in a brand new country. Like, how do you do it? It's really, really hard for us to think about. And 
always a reminder to me how I say lucky, but just blessed we are that we had parents who were willing to make that jump. So many families have a variety of reasons why they left and why they came and and all of that. Quick sidebar, you've been to Disney now? Yeah, so I actually went okay. to Disneyland last year. Like right after so after my book came out in May and then in August. No, it was like end of July and towards August. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna because that was on my bucket list. Like one of the nice. things I have to do in my life. Because we came to the States, you know, for that reason. And it's like sad that I haven't gone in like twenty years. So Did you take like, did you take your dad? No, sadly I I wanted to, but I ended up just going with a friend. Okay, well, yeah. we got we got time. Abonim, if you're listening, you got we got we got to <laughs> we got we got to we got to take you to Disney. Um, but where did you also sort of then? Um, are you an only child? Do you have any siblings? Like, how did you acclimate into? I I don't know if kids can mentally prepare themselves for such a move, and I don't know if that has any difference in how they fall into society. Where where did you land first, and were there a lot of other Korean Asian kids in the neighborhood? Tell us sort of about the adjustment process. Yeah, so. We moved straight to Jersey, and right now where we are, I'm back in the town we first moved to, and this is now like considered the K-town of Jersey, um, but back then it was not as Korean. Um, there were a lot of Korean people, but it was still like, it was pretty multicultural, and um, there were just people of every color, every race here. It was pretty mixed, um, and I do have a younger brother, so... Yeah, that was nice because I feel like I always had like a friend along the way. We we're one year apart. Um, so, yeah, there's always someone to talk to. Uh, but it, I guess it was, it was actually really hard for me despite having Korean people in my class. Yeah, like it was, honestly, it was like really traumatic for me. Um, like moving and like moving into a new school not knowing the language at all, like not knowing where I am. And then just the teachers at the time, apparently my parents told me that they kind of pushed me up a grade instead of, you know, mostly most times when immigrants move, they usually kind of try to put you not a, a grade lower, I think, or like. Well, so the reason is the American uh, academic calendar starts in the fall. The Korean yeah. academic calendar starts in the winter in February. Oh. And yeah. so parents have to make a decision whether you want to go half up or half down. Half up would actually put you at the same age level as your peers. Mm -hmm. But a lot of parents, so we came early enough when we were younger. Plus, I had a cousin who was my age. And so to make sure that we would be in the same grade level, we went a year up. But uh, I think particularly when the, the kids are a little bit older to help them adjust academically and give themselves a, a more of a running start some parents opt to do half a grade below. And so that's probably the reason, the decision that your parents had to make as well. Oh, okay, I see. Because they, so they said that they were talking to teachers about it because they had like no idea how this whole system worked. And they were like, oh, baby language is all the same language, just push her up. Um, and then, so I was one of the younger ones in my grade. And also mm. my birthday was literally the first day of school. So- Wow. Yeah, like that would literally be like me catching up with everyone else, like where we started and stuff. So, uh, yeah, we so basically moving to a school, um, not knowing the language at all. And even though there were some Korean kids, 
uh, I was I was um, outcasted by them and everybody because I couldn't speak the language and they told they were embarrassed that I was like too Asian apparently like quote unquote yeah um, they were like if you can't speak English then you can't stay in this country that's what the Korean kids told me and they, aye, aye. and they said this to me in Korean which is you know which doesn't make sense because they know the language but they choose not to speak it um, and yeah like the things that I had to go through during school was just horrible like even you know because um, my parents weren't really um, they weren't home a lot right because uh, they were working most of the time and for me that's why I feel like like the little hints of my parents in my daily life mattered a lot to me. So them packing my lunch for me meant so much. Um, but Or like even doing my homework with me, like, you know, looking at the dictionary and uh, getting my homework done, like that meant a lot. But uh, yeah, like some of the kids would come over and they would like get my lunch and like throw it on the floor and be like, oh, this is so Asian. Like it smells like Asian, you know? Um, and they were these were Korean kids that were doing to you. Yeah, they were Korean kids, and they were like saying it's really embarrassing to be that Asian. Um, and I was basically bullied for that for being not Americanized enough, and which doesn't make sense because I just moved here. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a really hard time for me. Like I was like, oh man, like in order to survive in the U.S., I have to basically reject, you know, kind of reject my culture or hide it more like. Um, so I could fit in with everybody else. Um, and I just want to blend in so that people wouldn't bother me anymore. All right. If you're from Northern Bergen County and you went to Sarah's school, you got, you got to do better people. And if you're raising kids, I mean, I, I say this as a fellow parent, um, all this stuff starts from home. And, and we know this is something that I think about a lot, Sarah, just there's a lot of self-hatred. There's a lot of shame. And I think maladjustment to becoming a healthy Korean American, where we realize that being both is a superpower and gives us so much empathy and understanding. And just, I think it makes me a better human being. But I think because that comes from a lot of them being made fun of by other kids, telling them that they're not enough, right? And so we, especially at that younger age, unfortunately, so many young people, kids internalize this thing that they have to, that they want to be white, basically. And then they project that onto other kids. And it's, I'm really sorry to hear that. Because I think knowing how you came here, how quickly, how sudden you came here, and what experiences your parents went through, um, it's unfortunate. Um, And you said it was, you know, in the last 20 years, like, it's not old news. This is, yeah, this is well past internet era right like um in in the 2000s so man that's 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 tough what did you learn from that and like sort of we know what you do now you're an illustrator you're wonderful amazing illustrator and you're creating so many wonderful things and jokes on them you're an author and they're probably doing something really miserable with their lives right the the immigrant girl who couldn't speak english is now is an author by one of the big four publishing houses so jokes on you guys when when did you fall in love with creative design and expressing yourself in that way? So I think I've always I've always been in love with uh, making art and doing something creative since I was younger. Um, but especially after uh, moving to the U.S. because I couldn't you know speak 
the language or anything like that, drawing became my form mm. of expression and my communication. Um, so I think it it had a bigger meaning to me. Um, just drawing and uh, writing uh, came later. But I mean, I would write in Korean, but like writing in English would come later. Um, but yeah, like the creative arts has always been a big part of my life. My mom was, um, she was like an interior designer. Um, mm. So she was always supportive of me um, doing something creative. Uh, and my parents were, yeah, I'm like really thankful for that because um, they didn't ask us to do like, you know, like what the typical Asian parents, like, oh, lawyer, doctor, you know, they were like, oh, you should do something uh, that would make you happy. And if you want to try something out, like, let us know. So we were freely able to like try out like all different types of instruments and like going to art school and yeah, they were very encouraging of it. So I feel like I kind of, um, sorry, like my brain is like, because of the Korean and the English, like sometimes it just gets mixed when I talk. Which is, um, I, that's the way our brains think. No, it, it's, it makes sense, right? I think it's, you wanted a way to express yourself and pictures are universal, right? right. And art is universal. It, it's one thing to have artistic hobbies. It is another to then decide that you want to go to school for it. When did you know and what did you want to do by going to art school? Yeah, so I actually didn't think of it as a serious career path until about junior year of high school. Um, before then, I was I did think about, not because, um, you know, like I said, like my parents didn't care what I did, like, in, you know, what I pursued. But I, I did want to work with children. And so at first, I thought about being like a pediatric dentist. I did like science and math too. Um, but but I don't know, somewhere in high school, I just thought about it. I'm like, is that what I really want to do for the rest of my life? Like, is that what I'm truly passionate about? Um, and I kind of did like a self-reflection during junior year of high school. And I was like, no, I have to, I have to pursue what I'm actually passionate about and what I do, like, you know, um, what actually also impacted my life, like, in a way, like when I was younger too, um, with children's books, like I knew mm -hmm. exactly that I wanted to be a children's book illustrator and author in high school before going to college. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like I was like, oh, you know, thinking about it, children's books made a big impact in my life as a kid. And that was kind of my form of escape um, as well as comfort. Um, and that's kind of what I want to do for other people as well. Um, and so I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I went into college, uh, like, yeah, determined to become a children's book writer and illustrator. Just You just shared that children's book had a, a pretty impactful, uh, impactful impact, a big impact in your life as, <laughs> as a kid. You know, we, we talk about representation quite a bit um, in our community as far as, you know, kids seeing themselves in media. For for us who born in Korea, childhood in Korea and coming here, it's a little different because, you know, my, my first memories are everybody's Korean, right? Whether it's yeah. books or TV and 
Then you come to America and you're like, of course they're white. This is America. And you sort of accept that. What are some of the impactful books or moments of just consumption of content that inspired you to one day want to create the artwork yourself? I wish that uh, when we were younger, we had more books with kids that looked like me in books. Um, but at the time, every every character was pretty much white. Um, and so, yeah, I guess some of the books that that still did impact me, though, like I had, uh, there's there was a book called You Are Special by an author named Max Lucado. And uh, I remember as a kid, like reading that book, I actually cried. It was it was about a puppet and um, how everyone would give him these marks. So everyone like there was a puppet town and they all carry around these sticker boxes and those that they didn't like, they would give them like a dark circle. And for those they liked, they would give them a star. And so the main character was focused on this one puppet that would be given bad marks by everybody in the town. And then um, eventually would meet the puppet maker and then realize that um, what they think or what those other puppets think really doesn't matter. Um, and that he was, he's special just the way he is. Um, and I think that was a book that spoke out to me a lot as a kid. And so reading that, um, I guess it really just, I don't know, like seeing characters that go through similar problems like I did, maybe not through the exact, not because of the same reasons, but because they were either different or, yeah, like, or those that were um, ostracized by other people and then kind of coming out stronger. Yeah, like those books really did make an impact on my life. What I heard in your story was just this desire to want to create the mm -hmm. artwork as an illustrator. For Toasty, you not only drew the drawings, but you, it was your vision, the whole story, right? Um, was there, is there a difference the way that you see creation? And when did you go through that process where you knew or that you believed that you could write the story and create the artwork for it? And, and I say that because a lot of children's books, there's the, the author. And then somebody who visually creates the artwork based on their vision, right? But for you, you're you're both. Right. How, do, how does how do you see that, and what does that mean for you to do both of it? Not just being asked to create, draw something that's to somebody else's vision. Yeah. So I think I don't know, the the coming together of the words and pictures. I feel like uh, for me, there was so much power in that, like the working together of those two factors. And I feel like if I was just illustrating, you know, like I don't mind illustrating for other people, but it at the same time, it might not be uh, exactly the message that I want to tell. And I feel like visuals play one part in a story and definitely words play another part in the story. Um, and so, yeah, like I, for me, I felt like it was important to do both. Uh, and I, I don't know if there was like a point where I was like, oh, I'm, I can write or something like that. Like, oh, I'm, I, I don't think I ever thought of myself as like a great writer or anything. But as I was just drawing these pictures um, and for school, uh, Toasty came about as a class project. 
and uh, it was for a book illustration class. And that's where we have to write our own stories. Um, so that's kind of where I first dabbed at it. And then, so once I wrote the stories, people were reading them and they were like, you, you actually do have, you have something going on here. Like not just in your pictures, but in the way you write. Um, I was like, oh, I guess, I guess I can do this too. Like not just illustrate, but, um, to write as well. That's pretty cool. How did you go from there to me being able to find your book <laughs> 10 months after you published it? Take us through the the creative process and, you know, how did you find the people on your team and get signed and how did it all happen? Because I, I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. So my book journey is a long one because that one. Okay. So thinking about it, I wrote that. I wrote that book junior year of college. So that was six years, six or seven years ago. Um, I wrote the first draft. And so, yeah, that, like I said, it came about as a class project. And then my teacher at the time, who is now actually my agent. Wow. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. That's like another story in itself. But she posted all our stories on a blog after we were done. And when my book went on this blog, like some other public, so publishers and like other agents, like agencies, like they saw, they came across Toasty, like this blog and came across uh, my work and they were, they were interested. Um, so I think starting from like junior year of college, that's when I started getting these, um, what do you call it? Like, like interest, like people were wanting to actually make this a book. So it went to pretty big publishing houses from the beginning and they went into rounds of acquisition but that this is the thing about publishing world is that it's it's like really not easy it's like there's a lot of rejection process that goes on and so uh, it got picked up by so many other uh, publishing houses along the way so that to the story still went on and I went through like processes of revision to try to somehow get the story going so in college, we had, um, as a field trip, our teacher, our professor, took us to to Penguin or to Simon & Schuster, and we would meet editors there. And we would actually have meetings with them. And we would get feedback, or they actually were interested in picking up our stories. And so that's kind of how it all started. And on my... So my eight, so my, the story with my agent and my professor at the time, Shadra Strickland, um, she was, she was not agenting. She was part of a literary, a children literary agency. And she, she basically introduced me to the, the agency, Painted Words. And they kind of, they just gave me the contract on my graduation day and signed in with them. And then, oh. yeah, so How just, poetic. Yeah, it just kind of went boom, boom, boom. So, um, but still my book wasn't bought yet. It was still in rounds of acquisitions, literally like a million times with different publishing houses. Um, so it was like that one factor, like for some reason, everyone was interested enough to pick it up, but like they thought the story was too risky. Mm. And the ending for Toasty, actually, the ending now is the fourth revision 
So that wasn't the original ending. And I'm really glad I changed the ending because I really got to get my point across. But um, the original ending, I, I can see why they thought that this was a very risky book in a sense. Because they're, they're thinking about it in their marketing term, like oh, how well this book is going to um, sell and things like that too. So yeah, but two years after graduation was when I finally found the right ending and then found the right editor, which was Margaret Ferguson at Holiday House. She bought the story like right on the spot. And that's kind of how Toasty, Toasty got picked up. And then two years later, it became a book. That's awesome. Congrats. I mean, obviously, big, big congrats on all of it. Quick sidebar, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I think, you know, what you just shared, it annoys me a little bit because it's people who don't look like us who tell us what our story should be mm-hmm. based on what their definition of what general market response would be. Mm-hmm. And it is, I think, hopefully it's getting better and better. But publishing overall, not just children's publishing, but, you know, it is still probably one of the most still closed guarded, like permission driven entities still, right? Somebody has to pick up your book or, you know, sign you to a contract and, and, and make edits based on what they deem market worthy. And here we are talking on a podcast where we don't have any of that. And mm-hmm. we have certainly a lot of people who who listen, but also resonate with our stuff. And so I'm, I'm glad that you went through that path. But for those folks listening who have a vision and have a dream of wanting to get your story out there, don't let anybody, especially if they don't look like us, tell you that your story is not worthy because that's one person's opinion. And if we think about all the stuff that we consume, whether it is books, movies, music, news, newspapers, magazines, really give some conscious thought to whose filters it went through before it landed in your head. And think about, would you tell the story that same way? And I think that's you know critically important to sort of thinking about how we view storytelling right? And who writes it is important, but who gets to publish it is equally important, if not more uh, from a permissioning perspective. So how did your parents react to the book news? My mom was super excited about it. My dad was just like, I don't know what's going on. Like he, he's just like, okay, she's just doing her thing. And um, obviously like the freelance life isn't the most stable. Um, and I think my dad wanted me to just go for like a safe job. And um, so he, it's not that he didn't care, but he did. And he was like, oh, this is exciting. But he didn't, I don't think it really hit him until like he's, he saw the New York Times book review and then mm. heard that Toasty was getting uh, translated in different languages. And then he was like, oh, shoot, like this is an actual thing. And so he was really excited for me then. And I don't know if, um, if it's just, it was just him hiding his thing or whatever, but my parents were really excited about it. Yeah, and they were really proud of me. Did you? Um, I have no idea. I, my brain's foggy on what what COVID related world things we were dealing with uh, ten months ago. But were bookstores open? Were you able to go see your book in person on publishing day last May? No, I mean, and that I guess I'm thinking last. Yeah, so last May when the book came out. I couldn't do any event really in person. And I did one book reading in person, but there was like a smaller crowd because, you know, COVID was still, still a 
a thing. Um, I feel like these days it's kind of died down the news of COVID, but um, even then, I couldn't see my book in in the stores and yeah, everything until a few months later. That's got to be frustrating. I mean, you know, we we've had a lot of authors on this show and. I think particularly the ones whose book released in middle of 2020 as like COVID was just happening, sort of the anticlimacticness of having your first book baby come out and the all the angst and you can't do anything and you just have to go on on, on podcasts and interviews and doing Zoom stuff to get, get people riled up. And um, but yeah, nothing. I don't have a book yet. I'm supposed to be working on one. I've experience third hand seeing the joy of my friends books on shelves but tell us about the experience Sarah of walking into a physical bookstore and and seeing Toasty on the shelf for the first time I think it was it was surreal to me because that book was with me for so long like um in in the mock book form so when we first pitch the stories you know we make a mock book and so that mock book version was with me for so long and then seeing an actual like a done physical copy just in the world and just like just sitting there I, I don't know it was just really surreal to me I couldn't believe that it was happening that is cool is there a particular cool moment cool author memory in the last no it's been about 10 months since the book's been out whether it is in person or a note that you received from a reader that really stays with you yeah, so I feel like I feel this every time I interact with my readers. But during school visits, when I see, you know, over Zoom, I see like hundreds of little faces and they all like holding up a picture of Toasty. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and um, how they're like expressing how much they love the book. And um, but for me, like, especially when I get emails or um, of it, kids or parents just expressing um how much the book meant to them like the message and um I actually got one last week too and she was um Asian American and she was saying that uh, she was looking for a book that uh, would shine a positive light um on being different and embracing oneself and she was so happy to come across my book and her baby is not old enough to read yet, but he's already excited about the pictures and she was hoping that Toasty would become his favorite book. And yeah, so, and I actually, there was another email that I got and she was, she was not a mom. She was just a, an adult who came across my book from a different country. And uh, she, she was like, oh, I know you wrote this for kids, but I just want to let you know that uh, your book really spoke out to me and it really, um, it really meant a lot for her. Um, so those moments, I'm like, wow, like, I'm just, I feel really encouraged. And, and it's those moments I'm like, oh, like, that's why I do the things I do, you know, um, to kind of <laughs> either comfort and encourage um, people who are struggling through uh, those kind of problems that I've struggled with and sometimes am still struggling with. So, yeah. It's wonderful. Um, I think. You know, I believe that the true power of storytelling is the ability for somebody else to feel seen and heard. And I think your book does that. And I think it's a lesson for me and you and everybody else that 
our job is to simply create and to put stuff into the universe. And we are reminded so damn often that we should never anticipate or judge how somebody else will receive that, especially as we tend to be tougher critics of our work than we should be. And then, you know, I mean, you have videos of kids holding up your book on your Instagram, and I'm sure many tear-filled memories or, you know, responses. And my kids are, you know, an older one is just about reading age. And it's important, you know, it's, it's, it's really important. I made a unilateral rule in our household. Every friend's kid's birthday gets a book written by an Asian American author because there's a good chance that it might be the only children's book written by an Asian American author in their home. Mm. And, uh, you know, much more important than my kids, it's them. And at a time, at a, at a time when the toughest but the easiest way out of the hate that we're seeing in the world is humanity through empathy. And in my mind, the best way to create a better future is to create kids who see more of other people than perhaps we did. And so, you know, my wife at first, she's like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. Like, I think I bought a bunch of uh, Joanna Ho's books. Hi, Joanna, if you're listening. And I was like, every kid is going to get this, you know, because it's important. And mm. again, it's one, you know, buying your friend's stuff is never a bad spend of money. And two, you know, I need younger kids so that kids don't, you know, grow up to be little, you know, shitheads like you had to deal with when you moved here, right? And And, and that starts in the home. And if the book that we gift happens to be the catalyst or the excuse that they have discussions about race, that they have discussions about different people and the things that we experience differently, then so be it. And and ultimately, who am I to know or even just to uh, project what impact that can have? We grew up in a very different time, and our kids are going to even grow up in, in more different times. The definition of what Asian American, Korean American will be different for them as it was for me and you. And so I am, am so uh, grateful more than anything that you wrote the book, that you continue to do the work that you do, Sarah, because it's like directly making an impact in my kids' lives. And it is cool. More than anything, it is just so cool. And And we talk about, I always preach, like we have to leave this world a better place for our kids. And that can be interpreted and actioned in so many different ways. But what you're doing really is one of the most impactful things of uh, helping them shape the way they see the world. So I am, I am so grateful and excited. What is what is next for you? You mentioned earlier, you dropped a hint that Toasty has now been agreed to be translated or, or they are going to translate the book into a variety of languages. Where is it going and uh, how does that impact you? Yeah, so actually I'm like thinking if I was allowed to allowed to say it. <laughs> um, I, I still don't know if I'm, I'm allowed to say exactly. Um, okay, in a perfect world, the Toasty <laughs> book does so well. I'll rephrase the question then. Um, how cool would it be if Toasty was translated into Korean? 
And do you think that's possible? Yes, I think, I feel like Toasty Vegan Korean is, would be amazing. And to have a book and a message speaking directly to my own people as well, right? Uh, in our home country, like, yeah, and having that message being there in our native tongue is just, yeah, it's just amazing. I think that's cool. I, I hope it happens. Um, then I can buy it for all my nephews and nieces. Hell, I should just <laughs> buy the English version for them anyway. <laughs> as, as we wrap, two more things. One, what are you working on now? And, and what are you excited for as you probably didn't need it, but it helped that you got this huge boost of validation through the success of your book and all the responses you're getting. But now you're a legitimate, full-fledged author. And what's next for you in the journey of Sarah Hong? Well, I'm continuing to write books with messages that I care about putting out in the world. And like my goal from the beginning, I just want to continue to create books um, that would really be a source of comfort and encouragement uh, to kids and to adults and to whoever comes across my book. So I have my own manuscripts I'm working on and I did I have a new project that just came in as well. So hopefully that'll be out soon. Yeah, I think I just, I, I don't know, after talking to you, Jerry, I'm just like feeling like, I mean, thank you so much for just sharing about how your kids received my book. And, you know, um, like as I was like kind of preparing myself to talk to you, I kind of, you know, thinking back on like, you know, those traumatic experiences I had as a kid and going through all those hardships, it was like, it was something I try. I don't really talk about too much because it was it was really hard for me to really talk about it. It's still hard for me to talk about it in depth, but I'm I'm still I'm really thankful that I came out stronger at the end um, and still went through what I did because I'm able to write these stories that would, in a sense, speak out to these kids and would make a difference and would hopefully prevent that kind of thing happening to our future children right so yeah i i'm just really grateful well we are grateful and again i i i think it's cool and you mentioned it's made an impact on my kids but it's also impacted me cuz i it it is cool and i and i think that there are so many people like you out there who are perhaps on your own journey of discovery and self-awareness and, you know, expressing that through your work. And, you know, we mentioned off air before we started recording, you meant you listened to uh, Joe Kai's episode. And I just jokingly said, hey, you should do something together. And I think that's sort of the next evolution, right? Like, you know, whether it's Joe or Joanna Ho, or anybody else who is really in the business of creating content for our kids and the next generation, of Asian Americans and other kids so that we see ourselves and other people see us in a more human and empathetic way to put all those people in as many rooms as possible together and to help each other grow the pie collectively. And as a consequence, show big publishing that Asian American stuff sells. And if they're not going to invest in us, we'll figure out a way to do it ourselves and do it on our own terms. I, I think that's the next huge evolution of 
sort of what we're sitting on. And so really, really excited for what's to come. I hope you get to do a bunch of kids readings and virtual mm -hmm. as they may be. And so before we get to our, our close, uh, if you're able to invite Sarah virtually or in person to your kids school, to your libraries, to your organizations, I don't know how all the economics of book works, but we got to sell a lot of books to, to yeah. make the economics work. That'd be great. And so if you, yeah. And you know, this is, <laughs> I, I get it too. You know, most of my income comes from speaking and doing podcast stuff and the, the exposure helps, but money helps better. And so pay her to come to your stuff. I, I think, you know, because <laughs> we, we ultimately, we have to right. circulate the money within our own economies. Right. And I, I often joke like, hey, if you pay me, it's going straight to the Korean restaurant down the street in two days. Like, and and the <laughs> Ajumas yeah. there, they're going to keep yeah. it within the community, right? And so, mm -hmm. and, and buy your books from local bookstores. Don't give it to the person who wants to go live on Mars. He doesn't need the extra money. <laughs> uh, as we wrap here, uh, Sarah, as, as we always do on the show with the letter, uh, share with us, the audience, any thoughts, inspiring quotes, motivational things, or just Anything that you'd like to share to the audience uh, as you reflected on your journey as an author and excited about what the the rest of your storytelling journey means, starting with Toasty. Help us complete the show by finishing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. Dear Asian Americans. So in Korean, there's a phrase that we say after a day of hard work, right? Which is, 수고했습니다. And I think that's something I would really want to tell our fellow Asian Americans. Um, really, um, we, I feel like oftentimes we're busy uh, living our lives to try to just progressively become better and become more than we are. And I think that's awesome. But once in a while, I think it's okay to give ourselves a pat on the back and, you know, just like you did, you really have done a good job so far and so yeah I'll, I just want to say thank you and so and tell us what that means directly and tell <laughs> the audience what it what it means in in meaning um so is like a phrase that we would say after we finish like a like a long day right and in a way I I would say like that's literally a form of like a pat on the back or like claps um, and kind of recognizing what we've done so far. And so I think, I think with, with that, hmm, it's hard because there's not like a direct. There's no, yeah. There, there's no direct. Yeah. It, Do you have a better way? Where I've sort of landed with it, it's, it's, it's it's so if you look it up in the dictionary, it'll say like good work or good job. I think it's more mm -hmm. closely aligned to like great effort because that means you try that you gave your yeah. heart to something that you gave good effort that you made progress on something. I think good job also signifies, you know, certain qualifiers as like, hey, is it good enough? Is it done? Is it not? But it's also a recognition of other people's work and, and their contributions to whatever you're doing. And so it's, it's a, you know, it's a very uniquely Korean thing that we say, I think, to one another, and I'm sure other cultures have their own versions of it, but it, it's, it's uh, communal in nature, it's collective in nature, and it is really 
just a uh, an appreciation for that person's contribution to whatever that you're doing and appreciating them for for their effort. So, yeah. So, so to you, Sarah, I know you were uh, a little anxious about this interview, this being your very first podcast one, but uh, to you as well, because I think you did a wonderful job. And so again, I'll reiterate as we close here, folks, one, go buy the book. If you obviously, not everybody's in the position to do so, but at least go check it out at your library. If you don't see it at your library, ask them to order it. If you are of means, and if you have little people in your lives, it is meant for four to six-year-olds, but older and younger work too. Consider gifting it. And if, if you are, as I am, uh, the parent of a child in a preschool environment, now is the time to ask them what their plans are for APAM and ask them what books they're reading, ask them what sort of curriculum that they can do to celebrate our community and our people during May and beyond. And so not just Sarah, but all people, as, as you, all authors, all Asian American authors and creators, ask them to be a part of that conversation as well. The job here is to grow the pie so that every slice that we have, though it may seem smaller in width, will get bigger. That's just the way that pi r squared works. And so because we're close to May 14th or March 14th, as we sit here, record close to Pi Day. Um, Sarah, any final thoughts before we say thank you and see you soon? Yes. Well, I, lastly, I just want to thank you, Jerry, uh, for creating this podcast and just having me on here too. But really, while I've ever since I came across your podcast, I've been listening like almost every day to different guests. And it's just so encouraging and uplifting to hear um, what our other fellow Asian Americans are doing. And so, yeah, please continue what you're doing. And really, thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you. You can find her on the internet at sarah-huang.com. On Instagram, it's sarah underscore s underscore huang. Book is called Toasty. It's a piece of toast that looks like a dog. And uh, just a friendly reminder, the next time you go to a bookstore, Read the spines, look for Asian names, and just buy the book. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much to Sarah for making time for this conversation and for writing this book, uh, a story told through a, a talking toast, but uh, a story that really shares with us how we belong in society, in our communities, and then how we deal with our identities. Um, it's a wonderful book. I'm looking forward to reading more of her work and for all of you uh, to start creating your own works and so that we can flood our bookstores and our children's world and our even our own worlds with works, books, uh, essays, podcasts, a lot of the things that are written and uh, created for us and by us. So big thanks again to Sarah. Uh, check us out at theariesamericans.com. At theariesamericans on Instagram is where you can find us. Hello at theariesamericans.com is our email address. If you want to learn more about the work that I do outside of this podcast, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can look me up on the internet at jerrywan.com. And if you've made it this far, a big ask, we are running an Asian creator survey. You can find it at bit.ly slash Asian creator survey and want to get a better understanding of what everybody is going through under creator journeys and help everybody find community and make more money together. So again, big shout out to McDonald's for sponsoring this episode and for Sarah for being our wonderful guest. Hope you continue to stay healthy, safe, and happy. I'm your host, Jerry Wan of the Asian Americans, and I'll see you next time.